So, uh, what do you see here? You can a log. Good, right. We've got a piece of wood. Um, this is probably some sort of a piece of birch. Maybe it's some sort of kiln-dried piece of birch that was quarter chopped and all that good stuff. So some of you and all of us, I think, can agree that we have a piece of wood here. We all look at it and we sort of see the same thing. And if not, we may either need glasses or just I can bring it closer to you. Um, so it's a piece of wood. But some of you kind of kind of see through the wood and you kind of go to the next step. You go, well, that would actually be really useful to start a fire or maybe to like hold your door open. It could be a great doorstop. Uh, maybe for like chucking, you could see how far you could throw it. Maybe for curls. I don't know what you want to do with it, but you see some sort of practical purpose, right? Like you kind of move through just what it is and you're able to see that next thing. I, I find myself to do that quite a bit. You see something kind of like, what could I use that for? But then there are some of you here that take a look at this and I'm very jealous of you because this is not in my natural wire. And you are able to look at this and you go, if I were to take some time with that piece of wood and maybe if I took it to my lathe at home, I could turn out some sort of a chair leg or maybe I could take some time and I could carve a mallard duck out of this piece of wood or a person or something. You see what's inside of it. You're able to look and you have that artist mind where you're able to look inside something and you're able to see what's already coming out of it. Um, I find that in my oldest daughter, AJ, she has that natural art and she's able to see in there. And I know there are some of you that are wired that way. And that's just not one of the ways that I'm wired, but I'm often enthralled and amazed at people who can do that. Um, several years ago, I was um, in Germany. We were doing a camp for some high school kids. They were families of military families and we were out doing that. And afterwards we had a chance to travel around. And um, I don't tend to do a lot of research when traveling. I just sort of show up and hope for the best, um, which sometimes works out really well. And sometimes you end up in some really sketchy areas. Um, this time it worked out pretty well. So we ended up in Rome while we were there. You kind of go see the things. There's like a Colosseum apparently. So you go see that. Some other stuff wandered in on this incredible concert in a, in a you know, a church, you're just walking on the road, you hear music, and someone said, hey, you should go to Florence while you're here. I thought, okay, it was one of those great times of life. You're single, you can just sort of go wherever. So I show up in Florence, don't really know what to do there. And apparently in Florence, you're supposed to go see the statue of David. If when I say that, I'm sure you know who that is. This is a censored version, safe for the little ears, don't worry. Um, <laughs> But the great statue of David um, is there. It's one of Michelangelo's masterpieces. And when you hear it, you know this art because this is one of those things that you're taught, you see it, and it is one of the preeminent works of art. It's something that everybody knows about. So I was glad someone said you should go see this because while you're here, like this is one of those pieces of history. One of the fun things when you don't really know what you're getting into is you find out some other things. And what was amazing is as you walk in to go see him, there is a hall, it's called the Hall of Prisoners. And in this hall are these unfinished masterpieces that Michelangelo is working on. And it was so amazing because I had never really spent much time thinking about sculpting and what happens, but to be able to look at these works that aren't finished, you get this really clear sense that the artist has to know exactly what they want out of the piece of rock. Let's go to one of these next ones here. Because you see, when you start with a solid piece, like a piece of wood or a rock and you sculpt out of it, you can only take off so much because once you take off too much, you're kind of stuck. So you have to have a really clear picture and purpose where you're going and to see these images coming out of the rock. I mean, it was just amazing because you see the artist at work. You see his vision and his clarity and his purpose in it. And it was such a beautiful picture of just seeing the artist on there. There's a couple more that are on here. Um, and, and to see it just frozen in time, you know, that Michelangelo, his hands were on this. Like he did this with his own bare hands. He, his mind, his, uh, his creativity was there. I think there might be one more. And I found myself spending just as much, if not more time, looking at these than this incredible statue of David that was at the end of the hall, this masterpiece, because there was such a clear picture of an artist at work. One of the great truths and one of the beautiful things um, that we can rely on is that God knows us. One of my favorite psalms, and one that many of you know, is Psalm 139.13. 
It says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. This image that God crafts each and every one of us from the very beginning of time, before even time began, and knows exactly who we are, and pieces us together in our mother's womb, that he knows the raw material he's working with, that he has a plan and a purpose and a picture, much like the artist has in the rock, he knows what he's planting in there, and I love it. And if we can start with that idea, this truth, this, this concept of God knowing us so deeply and having such a clear purpose for us, I think we see this amazing thing that God is doing is this raw material and that he wants to work with it and he does that through forgiveness and following him so that we can be fully who we're meant to be throughout our lives but i think what happens for many of us the trap that a lot of us fall into me included is that because god has wired us because he creates us he also creates you and i with natural gifts talents abilities things that we're good at and what i find most of the time is not that we're uh so good at these things and all that, what happens is we kind of stop at what we're good at and we don't live out of much of a reliance on him. We kind of live out of the external parts of who we are. Maybe it's our pride. We just know we're good at things. Or maybe it's your success, your abilities, and you just your comfort. And you just sort of, we live out of this place where we can just sort of do things. Um, some of you are just really great at teaching. Some of you are such good teachers that you can just get up in front and you can share knowledge and kids get it. They just pick up on it right away or adults and you just are just so gifted at it that you don't have to rely on God at all. It's just off the top of your head because you are naturally gifted at teaching. Some of you are so good at business and making money that you just get up in the morning and it just runs smoothly and it's successful. You don't have to rely on God at all. It just happens because you're just naturally gifted at leading and producing and making these things happen. I was uh, somewhere earlier this week and, and there was a guy who was talking about how much he missed some of his early days of business where he had to wake up every morning and rely on God because now things were going well and the trap was for him to not have to rely on him anymore, that he could kind of put it back on himself and just sort of live out of the outside parts of him. Some of you are so good at parenting, you're just naturally wired up at that, or caring for others, that you just do it, it exudes out of you. You just see people, you care for them, you love on them, and you don't have to talk to God about it, you don't have to rely on Him, it just comes out of you and you just live out of it. And I think it can even happen here at church. Some of you are so good at greeting, at teaching our kids, at leading worship, at um, doing all of the things that happen here that we can do it without God. You can just wake up and you can do it. You don't have to rely on him at all because it is just such a natural thing for you. And, and I have had many seasons like that where you just sort of live out of the natural abilities and you forget that what the purpose of all this was to be was to rely on him and to lean into him. But I also know that there's some of you that are here and you think you don't have any value at all. And when I talk about being created by God, there's just a piece of you that goes, well, he must have missed me. Uh, that must have been the day he took off because you can't even see in yourself. And whether that's through circumstances or whether that's through the things you've been told or the voices that are there, that you don't even see the value. Or maybe for some, you could just be so steeped in sin or disobedience at this point that the work that God wants to do in you is not able to be fully completed because of the things that you're doing or the ways that you're moving, and God can't fully complete that work yet. We're in a series called The Life After, where we're taking a look at Jesus showing up after the resurrection as he had died. He'd gone to the cross. He came back to life again. That happened on Easter, and then he appeared several times the different people, and so we're taking a look at some of these different interactions he had with people, trying to discern what we can learn about him and what happens in their life through that. And today, we're with Peter. 
Uh, Peter is one of my all-time favorite people. As you get a chance to read the Bible, and hopefully you guys are taking some of the opportunities to do that in this gospel reading plan, one of the amazing things is, is that you find out these are real flesh and blood, real people. Their character is consistent throughout it, and Peter is one of the clearest examples of this. Every time Peter does something, it is clearly you go, well, that's Peter, because he is just so naturally him. Like He is consistent throughout all of the readings of him, and it's one of the things I love about him. There's some things that I love and that kind of remind me about him. I, I love his candor. I love that he just sort of speaks without thinking a lot of times. You don't ever have to worry about where you stand with Peter. Um, it's kind of a great thing and also, you know, sort of a second-year-old. Uh, second-year-old? Maybe a second grader. That might be the right thing to say. <laughs> We'll get there. Um, I love that Peter's quick to act. He doesn't take a lot of time to come up with a business plan and to think through things and write all. He just does it. Like if it seems like it's the right thing, Peter jumps into it. I love that about him. And, and one of the things that I, I hope that is true about me, but I, that I am so attracted to about Peter is he just wants to be close to Jesus. He loves being where Jesus is. He wants to be by him over and over and over again. You just see him wanting to draw close to Jesus no matter what that means. There are parts I wish that were more uh, like Peter about me. He's brave. He is just willing to act. He's willing to do things. He's willing to take big leaps. He has big faith. He steps out and, and does these incredible things. Now, some of you may know a lot about Peter, and this is uh, going to be a, a rehash for you. And some of you may be learning a little bit about him, but I thought it would be helpful to paint a picture of Peter and some of the things that are true about him as we get ready to hear the story where Jesus meets him today. First is this. Peter's one of the first disciples. He's out fishing with his brother in Jesus comes walking along the side. Now remember, he's, he's out fishing. He's plying his trade. Uh, the story we're going to pick up on uh, several years later is very similar to where he, Jesus first finds him. And in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And Peter follows him, and he does. Peter gets to see and do amazing things. Peter sees miracles. He is on the front line of Jesus' ministry. J Peter sees Jesus raise people from the dead. Peter sees Jesus heal people. Peter gets to see Jesus feed thousands of people. He is on the front line and witnesses miracles up close. He is like right there in the thick of all of the action. He's seeing it all happening. Um, Peter walked on water. I mean, he, Jesus invites him. He sees him walking. He invites him out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. I mean, Peter did some amazing things. Peter's the first to recognize who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But Peter also had plenty of failure because three verses after this, Peter uh, gets called out. Shortly after recognizing him, it says that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised back to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I had to read that one a few times because I don't think I've ever really thought about that. Peter pulled Jesus, son of God, no big deal, um, aside and rebukes him. That picture that real quick, that he is that confident that he was willing to do that. He rebukes him. He says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter gets called out. He also uh, made really brash statements about himself in comparison to others. He had maybe a little bit of an issue with pride. Um, 
Matthew 26, Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, all the guys, the 11 other guys that he has been with this whole time, even if all of them fall away, I never will. Then Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter was central to Jesus' story. He's one of the inner circle. And he had a lot of the right pieces, the right skills, the right abilities to be integral to the mission of Jesus. But as Jesus heads towards the cross, he asks his closest friends to stay awake with him. And three times Peter falls asleep. And as Jesus continues on the trials and continues on this path to his death, and as the hope fades away around the disciples, we find Peter denying his friend, his Lord, his rabbi, three times. And then not just denying, it was interesting to read this. Uh, there is some of the commentaries on this. We've kind of dialed back some of the language on his final denial. He didn't just deny, but he cursed and even blasphemed the Lord as he denied him. There was a very serious nature to how far he went in his denial of him. And as he denies this third time, a rooster crows and Peter breaks down. He is at the end of his rope. Someone wrote, to deny that you ever knew your best friend is utterly reprehensible. To deny the Lord Jesus when you have been chosen for the express purpose of telling men about him is even worse. So Peter has failed. And not just a little bit of fail. It's a big fail. A big enough fail that 2,000 years later we're still talking about it. That this was captured and we repeat this story because he has fallen so hard. Have you ever failed so hard that you didn't know if you'd be able to continue on? Have you ever messed up so big that you just wanted to throw the towel in and quit? Have you ever messed it up so bad you thought, if I could just go back to what I was doing before, things would be okay? Maybe that's even in your faith life. You just have messed up so much, like if I could just go back to the way things were, maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's not even been that big. Have you ever cheated or just kind of not gone and done your fullest, best work instead of doing the hard work that was involved, just kind of cut the corners a little bit? You ever chosen not to say something and speak up when you should have? You ever disappointed your parents? Have you ever been fired? I've been there. We've all fallen short at some point. We've all messed up big. And this is where we pick up the story of Peter. He and the guys are out fishing. And it's a scene, as I mentioned, not too different where Jesus had first called them. They're on the shores, they're fishing. This time they're on a boat doing what they know and they're comfortable. So we're going to be reading through John chapter 21. I'd invite you to follow along if you have it. Um, parts of it are in uh, your bulletin. I'm going to do the first couple of verses uh, that are there and then it'll pick up in the bulletin. But you're welcome to follow along your phones and your Bible. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Good thing to remember, this was the Thomas last week that Chad preached about, the Thomas who doubted, that Ernest Thomas, we may have renamed him. Um, but he's there on the boat with him. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. I love they even highlight right here some of Peter's natural ability is to lead. He says, let's go fish. And the guys follow him. They get in the boat and go with him. He has so much of the right stuff. So they went out and caught, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Again, their failure is highlighted, and if you're a fisherman, it's not one of your favorite things to hear about how little fish you caught. Um, but here it is. They have caught nothing all night. What they thought they were good at, they weren't even good at anymore. This thing that they thought they'd known in this comfortable place they had gone back to. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Interesting note about this. For some reason, I've always just pictured the guys on the boat with like a cast net, like how most of us fish or, you know, just a little bit of stuff. But the boats at the time would have been, uh, had a large net. They would have had counterweights. And this was like a big deal to move the net around. It's something you'd haul in huge net and have to do a lot of work. So the fact that they listened and did this was not a small thing that they were willing to do this work because they'd been out all night doing the thing they thought they'd known. But something about them responded to him when he said, even though they hadn't recognized him yet. Continuing on in verse 6, it says, When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Again, Real people, when you see and read through the stories, you see a very clear picture of who Peter is, and this is who Peter is. They are a hundred yards away from the shore. That is not very far as a football field. It would not take long for a boat to get there, yet Peter just jumps off the edge and swims in the shore because he's going to be first and he's going to get there. I love it. It's just who he is. He jumps. He, he reacts. He goes. And I think at this point, he once he realizes it's the Lord, he wants to get there. He wants to be close to him. It's so consistent with who Peter is. Verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Just like a fisherman that count all the fish, right? But even, so, many, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to him, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. <coughs> there is so much just in this first story. There are about a dozen sermons you can give, so I'm not going to be able to cover all of it. But today, I want us to focus in on a couple of things. Um, Jesus, as he stands on the shore, asks a question. Have you caught any fish? It's such a simple question. But oftentimes it's those simplest questions that invite some of the deepest relationships. Again, I think about my story and a young life leader coming up to me in the hallway at school and saying, hey, when's prom? But it meant he knew something about me. It meant it was an invitation into a relationship with him. It was a small thing, but he knew me and I wanted to respond to it. And in the same way, Jesus meets them with a question. Have you caught any fish yet? And they hear his voice and they respond to him. And then as they come into shore, there's a fire already built and a meal being prepared. Chad, when he was speaking of Thomas last week, asked a question that's been rattling around in my brain all week. He said, what kind of king is so accommodating? What kind of king is willing to show up in a room for one guy to be able to make sure that the claims are true? And I would ask the same thing. What kind of king, what kind of person who has conquered death, what kind of person who has come back from the grave, what kind of king would show up on a shore for 11 guys that had gone back to their old trade and built a fire and made a meal. And I would say that same king is the same character and consistency we see of Jesus over and over and over again. Jesus cares about the relationship. Jesus wants to be in relationship with them. Jesus has a plan and a purpose, and he invites them in, and he builds a fire for them, and he cooks a meal. Oftentimes, some of Jesus' deepest teachings and the biggest truths are followed with some of his earthiest things. And I think in the same way, there's a meal and there's a fire and there's guys around it and they share it together. And then Peter, 
with a full belly and warmed up by the fire, gets into a conversation with Jesus. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Peter three questions, but it's the same question three times. Do you love me? And it's been the question he's been asking the guys all along. It's the question he was asking everyone all along. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to leave your professions and follow me? Do you love me enough to walk with me through all, all of this life? Do you love me enough to when you recognize that I'm not the powerful king you thought I was, but a king who suffers and sacrifices, will you follow me even into death? Do you love me? And what I find so interesting in Peter's responses is that I think if Peter was answering out of his own natural gifts, talents, skills, ability, if he was trying to live out of the Peter that he's always been, his answers would have been when Jesus says, do you love me? Peter would have said, yes, Lord, you know I love you because I was willing to slice off the guy's ear and I was willing to go do all the work. The Peter that we have seen all along would have said, yes, Lord, you know I love you because I've done all of these things. But that's not how Peter responds in any of these questions. Here's his responses. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. See, Peter spent so much time relying on himself, wanting a Christ without a cross, power without humility or pain. Yet in all of his responses at this time, he appeals to Jesus' knowledge of him, his, his deep and abiding knowledge of Peter's heart. And he says, you know you know I love you. Look inside. You, you know me. I no longer can do this on my own. You have to recognize it within me. There's just sense that Peter is so far past where he has been. He has fully changed. And to recognize what's really happening, he says, you know me. You know I love you. I think this conversation that Jesus and Peter have is this picture of a great artist at work. Jesus is the artist who has known all along what Peter had in him. I mean, when he called him on the shore, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it was no mistake that he said that. He had a clear purpose. When Jesus, Peter recognizes Jesus, he says, I will build the church upon you. He had a clear vision and purpose for Peter. He saw deep inside of him and knew what was there. He knew what was in the mold. He knew that the church would be built upon him. He knew that you and I would be sitting here today because of him. But it wasn't until Peter was able to walk through failure, to be forgiven, to truly accept Christ's love for him apart from anything he could possibly manufacture on his own, that he was finally able to do what God wanted for him to do. And Jesus uses this chisel of grace to break down Peter's self-reliance, his pride, all of the things that were holding Peter back from fully relying on Jesus to carry out his mission. I hope I hope that you can see yourself in the midst of this story, that it's not just some story that's been locked away that we just look at, because this is a story that I hope that each and every one of us sees ourselves in, because it's so much of my story, that needing, 
I need him every day to continue to do the work that he has started. I need Jesus to use this chisel to keep breaking away the hard places, the places that are still not there yet, to allow him to do the work, to continue to do it. I need to continue to lean into him, continue to let him do it. And I am still in process. This is not a work that is done. The artist is still at work. And I hope that you can all see yourself in the midst of that, this invitation to an artist doing great work. And then, after he's answered the questions, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do, Lord. He says, then feed my sheep and follow me. He sets him on a new path, on a new mission. He gives him a new direction to head. And you see, Peter's life was changed. As we find his stories in the coming days, weeks, and years, Peter founds the church. He is leading a movement, a movement that directs us here today. He is taking incredible steps, and he fully, for the first time, realizes who Jesus is. Every time he has a chance to share, he shares about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. He preaches Jesus crucified. He preaches that it's only through his power and strength that anything can be done, and full reliance on him. Peter is changed, and he leads it all, and he follows Jesus even into death. He follows him the whole way for the rest of his life. Jesus invites Peter, I think, into three things in the midst of this. The first is this. He invites Peter back into relationship with him. Questions invite relationship. Jesus on the shore, have you caught any fish? And he asks him, do you love me? He asks these questions and he invites Peter back into relationship with him and into a meal. There's something that happens around a meal with people when they sit together. He invites him into deep relationship. That's the first thing. Second thing Jesus invites Peter into is to full forgiveness. Three times Peter falls asleep. Three times Peter denies him. And three times Jesus says, do you love me? And invites him back in. I don't think there was any question at the end of that conversation for Peter that he was fully forgiven. You see, Jesus had already done the work. I mean, he had been on a cross. He had gone to the grave. He had come back to life. Death was gone. Death had lost its thing. The power of sin was done. It was all finished. Yet Jesus still came to him and said, do you love me? He still gave Peter the opportunity to take those steps towards him. And I think from that moment on, Peter had no questions about what Jesus was going to do in his life. It was all done, and he knew at that moment that clarity that Jesus had done the work, and he was forgiven and ready to go on mission. And that's the third thing, is that Jesus gives Peter a new mission, a new path. He tells him to feed my sheep and follow me, and that's exactly what Peter does for the rest of his life. Do you want to know what grace is, what it, what it really is? It's Jesus showing up before you've got it all figured out because he's already done the work. Death has lost its sting. The power of sin has been broken, and he invites you in. Romans 5 eight. while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did the work. He made a path back, and he invites you into it. But the thing is, it's a gentle invitation, and you have to submit to it. He asks the questions, do you love me? It's not a forced thing like, you will follow me. He says, do you love me? Then follow me. We have to respond. We have to submit. We have to allow the work to be done. And we have to accept what he has already done in the midst of it. Then he says, do you love me? And it's what he asks. And if you respond to it as much as you know how, yes, Lord, I love you. He offers you a new mission, a new path to follow him. And he invites the same to each and every one of us today. He sees what you have to offer. And I will tell you this, it is a lot. He has been doing this work for a long time in the church. And the church has not fallen apart, and he continues to use people over and over and over again to carry out his mission, to invite people in, to change lives, to bring dead people back to life. It's the mission he gives us, and he continues to do it over and over again, and he still chooses to use you. What I found really interesting in the story is that 
when he came to the shore and Jesus said there, have you caught any fish? And he tells him to throw the net on the other side. There's a very real sense that he gave them those 153 fish. He knew where they were and he provided the fish. Yet when they came in to shore with those fish, one of the first things he says is, bring me some of those fish and let me use them. I love this picture right from the very beginning that Jesus, though he gives us all this stuff, he says, let me use it. Let me use you in the midst of all of this. He doesn't discount that. He does it with our resources. He does it with our time. And he does it with everything in our life if we allow him. This room is filled with his image. This world of people are filled with his image. And there is a masterpiece inside each and every one of you, a plan and a purpose that was knit together from before the beginning of time that God has placed in you. And it requires the continual chisel of grace of the master artist to chip away the rough parts to reveal what he's been doing all along. And, and I, I think there are probably some of you that are sitting there right now that are thinking, you know, Jay, um, if, if I let someone keep chipping away at me, what's going to be revealed is nothing. There's, there's not anything there, and I'm so afraid. And, and I know that's true because I hear that, but I, I want to reassure you of this. If you have heard the question of, do you love me? And you respond with, yes, the thing is that Jesus is now in your life. And as those pieces are revealed, those pieces are removed, the thing that is revealed is him all along. You see, he has clothed you in his righteousness. He has come in. And as those pieces are taken away, he is revealed over and over. So don't worry about it. Let him do the work. He's there if you have responded to him. One of the things that has struck me since that time in the hall with those unfinished works of art is that I found them as much, if not more interesting than the masterpiece of David at the end of the hall. Though it was incredible, those pieces were so mesmerizing. There was something beautiful about seeing the artist at work. There's something mesmerizing about seeing the art come out of the rock and realizing that the master artist had a plan from the very beginning. And I believe the same is true about each and every one of us. The completed work of art is the goal. And we can continue to look more and more and more like that every day as we allow Jesus to work on us, as we allow him to continue to work, as we follow him and lean into him and as he does this work in us. And we begin to look more and more like that finished work. But the fully completed work of all of this will not be completed on this side of heaven. But the incredible news is that the work of art in progress is good news and has beauty of its own. It reveals the plan of the artist and the work he's doing. You see, your life is like this sculpture and all the failure, all the grace, all the steps we take towards Jesus, all of the work we allow him to do shines through and reveals the artist at work. And I would say that happens even more so in the hard places in those dark places and the parts you don't want to give up and the parts you never thought he could use and the parts of your story you didn't ever want to share. Those are the places that he shines through even more when we allow him to do that work when he continues to work on us. And my prayer, my hope for you is that you'll continue to do this work to allow him to do it in you, even in the places that are hard to work on, and maybe especially in those places, because they all reveal the artist. Do you love me? Then follow me and feed my sheep. God gives each and every one of us when we respond to him, when we follow him, sheep to care for. It could be your children, maybe it's your coworkers. it could be the people sitting next to you in church, it could be the kids in base camp and team summer, it could be your parents, your siblings, God entrusts people to every one of us, it's his most precious creation, each of them are people created in his image and he gives us people to care for and to shepherd and it's one of the parts of the mission that he sends us on as we respond to him. If you've heard that question, do you love me, and you've responded, Lord, you know I do, 
then you're invited into a meal with him. Today, here this very morning, a meal that he asks us into, that reminds us of his forgiveness, and that sets us on a new path to follow him. As I mentioned, some of Jesus' most profound truths were followed by some of the most earthy representations of that. And I think this meal that he had on the beach very closely mimics the meal that he had in the upper room, the communion meal he left us with. As he sat on the beach and he offered them fish and bread, and in the upper room he offered them bread and wine, and he invited them into a meal, a meal that said, I've done the work and I'm inviting you in. And if you accept it, I will forgive your sins and I will set you off on a new mission. And the communion meal works the same way. We come forward as an invitation from him and we partake of the elements and we're reminded of his forgiveness so that we can then be back on mission. I'm going to invite the band to come forward at this time. Um, And if you have ever answered the question to Jesus, do you love me? If you are a follower of him, even on this very day, if you have decided, yes, Lord, I I want to follow you. Yes, Lord. I love you. You were invited to this meal. You see, this is a very invitational meal, but it is a meal for those who are following him. It is a meal that he has set out. This is not Summit's meal. This is God's meal, and it is a meal that he's been offering for a long time, a meal that reminds us of his forgiveness, a meal that invites us into mission with him. By means of practical instruction, in a couple of moments after I pray, the band is going to continue to lead us in worship, and as you're ready, you'll come forward to one of these three stations. The one to my right and your left is a gluten-free option. There'll be folks there, and you'll take a piece of bread out of the basket, and they'll say, the body of Christ is broken for you. You'll take that bread, and you'll dip it into the juice, and they'll say, the blood of Christ is shed for you, and you'll partake of that element and return to your seats. And they'll say this because it's true, because Jesus really did die. He really came back to life. He really forgives sins, and he really gives you a new mission and a new path to follow. So as you're prepared after, and as the band plays, I would invite you to come forward. But for now, let's pray together. God, thank you. that you are willing to invite us into a meal, Lord, that you have finished the work, that death is done, it has lost its sting, that sin and the power of it has gone, that you came back to life, yet even in the midst of that, you continue to invite us into a relationship, that you continue to invite us into mission with you, Lord. And I pray for this meal today, God, that we would be able to take time to remember that same invitation you gave to Peter, the same invitation in the upper room to come to you, to be forgiven, to be sent out for you, to go to your people, to share this incredible news that there are dead people who are now alive because of you, that we can offer life and hope to those around us, yet we can be sustained through the continual taking of this meal with one another. Lord, I pray this morning as we come to this table that you would meet us, each and every one of us, exactly where we need, and send us the care for the sheep you've given each of us to care for. Lord, we pray all of this this morning in your son's name. Amen.